Well, good morning. It's uh, October 20th, and I'm not the regular teacher, um, but uh, Mike Sherrod asked me to teach today, and he said, you can do your own lesson, or I could start on his upcoming 10-page handout. Well, I read the upcoming handout, but there's something still I wanted to talk about or that I've thought a lot about from what was coming. So this is kind of a segue between the two. We're still working with the same topic, uh, the parable in Matthew 25, um, and its implications for um, our life as followers of Christ. So I'm going to be building on that, but this is... I believe a theme that will be spiraled around by Mike, but not exactly uh, his handout. So, some of you may find it challenging, maybe. Some of you may find it too superficial. But um, I think it's a theme we'll be coming back to uh, um, again. But let me open up um, the time in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as we seek to follow him, um, we ask, even in this study, as we study your word, that by the grace of your Holy Spirit, our lives might be strengthened and transformed into the image of the Son that you love, that we may follow him uh, more closely. We ask you... We bless us as we hear these readings, um, as we think about this topic, Lord, that you might be glorified by your work in your church, in our very lives. To the glory of Jesus' name, in whose name we pray, amen. Okay, so... You'll need a handout. The handout is mostly um, Bible passages. And um, I am going to finish this up in one lesson, so at times we might be skipping some, but you'll have everything here. I became a Christian uh, as a te teenager mostly through Bible reading. I grew up outside of New York City in a Jewish neighborhood, um, an environment, and it was actually several years before I met any evangelicals or even knew what an evangelical um, uh, was. But the Lord blessed me with um, that I just sort of fell in love with, with the Bible, and I was taking things pretty, um, you know, at face value and trying to put them in my life. And when I would reflect upon this passage that we've been dealing with in Matthew 25, and we won't read it today, but uh, we've read it several times in this class, the separation of the sheep from the goats. And Jesus said to them, and it's at the top of your handout, I was hungry, I was thirsty, I was a stranger, I was naked, I was sick, I was in prison, and you came to me. And that phrase, in prison, wait a second. <laughs> I thought prison is where we locked up the bad guys. Why would Jesus be concerned about us 
as his followers visiting those in prison. Now, of course, that was a long, long time ago, and I've thought a lot about this um, since then. But I want to uh, share this as a segue between what Mike's been teaching and what's coming. As I say, I have read his coming uh, handout, and so this is kind of a bridge between the two. God clearly cares about those in prison. So the question is, why? Um, the Occurrence of these words in the English Standard Version, prison or prisoners, occurs 105 times, captive 74 times, bonds 28 times, bondage 1. That's a lot. There's a lot in the Bible about prison and prisoners. And as an opening question... And I'd like you just to take a moment or two and turn to someone near you and talk about that. I guess I'll have to talk with Rock. He's as close as there is. What comes to your mind when you think of prisons or being a prisoner? And what are reasons for being a prisoner or being in prison? So I'll give you two minutes to talk to somebody. What comes to your mind? Okay, what comes to your mind? study? Anything? Right away, or what we've done against God. 
yet there will be consequences for those who are not in Christ. Okay, one more. Right. So she brought up a point of the imagery of being slaves to sin, so on and so forth, but it's the same imagery used in terms of prison. And I found in Ephesians 3, 1, Paul calls himself a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Okay, great thoughts. I think we'll touch bases on all of these as we as we go through this study. There's a lot, there's a lot there. So, first, God, I want to do a couple of passages that God works to free prisoners. Now, we can spiritualize that and say, we're free in Christ. We've been released from the bondage of sin. But Jesus in this parable seems to be talking about very, not spiritualizing it. It's being sick, being thirsty, being hungry. Um, and in the scripture, especially in the poetical um, verses from the psalmist, we... Do you have a handout? Okay. We um, see this over and over again. Who would like to read Psalm 146? And read all that. Yeah, off the paper. Oh, oh, 5 to 9? Yes. Okay, I'll do it. Blessed is whose health is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who, he, who executes judgment, justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. So in the middle of this passage is that bolded phrase, the Lord sets the prisoners free. What's going on in the rest of the passage all around? What kind of themes are there? You see a lot of themes about justice, about oppression, about the righteous. We also see other themes from the Matthew um, parable. We see the sojourners. We see widows and fatherless. So this concept of setting prisoners free, again, we see is bound up with those other themes there, way back in the Psalms. Who would like to read Psalm 68? But the righteous shall be glad, they shall exalt before God, they shall be jubilant with joy. Sing to God, sing praises to his name, lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord, exalt before him. Father of the fatherless, a protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out for prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity. Again, we see similar things here. Beginning of five, father of the fatherless and protector of widows. Again, so this leading out, freeing from prison seems to have something to do with righteousness and, and the care for the poor. How about Psalm 102? Let this be recorded for a generation to come, so that the people yet to be created may praise the Lord, that he looked down from his holy height, from heaven, the Lord looked at the earth, 
to hear the groans of the prisoners, to set free those that were doomed to die, that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord and in Jerusalem his praise, when peoples gather together and kingdoms to worship the Lord. Again, this, this, these verses the psalmist is writing about that God's looking down and hearing the groans of the prisoners and wanting to set free those doomed to die. We can put that on a very spiritual level, and as you said, that's us, right? We deserve God's judgment on our sin, and he has provided uh, freedom for that in his son Jesus Christ. But also, there's other things going on here that also seem more in a practical sense, too. And let's look at verse, uh, the next verse. And this is a personal prayer. Um, listen to, to what the psalmist prays. Who, who could read that? I'll read it. Sure. I cry to you, Lord, I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought by Deliver me from my first fears, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison, that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will be without What's going on? What, what's he praying about there? What do you think he means, bring me out of prison? That he, that, um, that he told them that, he, that they were his refuge? The Lord is his refuge, for sure. Okay, yeah, so you're going back to deliver me from my persecutors. For they, so being persecuted makes him feel like he's in a prison. Whether he's physically in a prison, the persecution coming against him makes him feel uh, like he is in a prison. And he's saying, the last phrase there, the righteous will surround me for you will deal bountiful with me. How does he see himself as part of the, of the righteous? And he's being persecuted. What did Jesus say? Blessed are you who be persecuted for righteousness' sake. Okay. So we see God over and over again is very concerned for those in prison. Uh, if you turn the page, a second set of passages is freedom from prison is a sign of God's favor, of his renewal, of his salvation. Um, I've just chose some passages from Isaiah. Who would like to read Isaiah 49, 8 through 10? Thus says the Lord, in a time of favor I have answered you, in a day of salvation I have helped you. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, to establish the land, to apportion the desolate heritages, saying to the prisoners, Come out, to those who are in darkness, appear. They shall feed along their ways, on all their heights shall be their pasture. They shall not hunger or thirst, neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them. For he who has pity on them will lead them, 
and by springs of water will guide them. Wow, there's a lot in this prophecy of the time of salvation, of fulfillment. Right in the center again, saying to the prisoners, come out, release to the prisoners. But did you notice also, going back to the um, Matthew 25, at 10, <clears throat> they shall not hunger or thirst. Okay, God's care for the thirsty, for the hungry, in Matthew 25, that we are enjoined to do, God cares about that as well. And we see this also intertwined with his care or concern for prisoners, saying, come out. Also, it's a great passage in Zechariah 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the pole of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. This rule shall be from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your strongholds, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. Okay. So those first two verses, or the first verse from Zechariah there, 9-9, we usually associate with um, Palm Sunday and Jesus as the Messiah riding into um, Jerusalem. But there's a lot more in the vision that Zechariah gives. And again, say, calling, saying that I will set your prisoners free. O prisoners of hope. What do you think about that phrase, O prisoners of hope? I was struck by that when I was reading this passage. In the psalm here, we're seeing a lot. The psalmist is declaring, um, you are my refuge. You are my stronghold. Ultimately, God is, is hope. So even as a prisoner, there's hope. Um, and Zechariah is drawing on that. There will be a, a, a time when prisoners will be set free. Isaiah 61, 1 through 3, this is a very famous passage. We'd like to read that. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance. To comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Okay, again, looking forward to the coming of. Messiah renewing the earth 
Again, God's concern for bringing good news to the poor, binding up the brokenhearted, but it's tied up also with proclaiming liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Now, you probably remember in Luke chapter 4, it describes Jesus' reading of this passage. And I've put here um, Luke's uh, narrative of that. So Luke 4, who could read those verses from Luke 4? And And he, Jesus, came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it up to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Wow. Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What God is doing among men. Kind. So, I've always thought of when Jesus came, a new order was breaking in. Not completely. This is already not yet. So, if this was the Messiah's call, what he was all about, how can we be surprised at Matthew 25 at the day of judgment? that Jesus is wondering what are his followers doing to continue that um, that call, which includes here proclaiming good news to the poor, but proclaiming liberty to captives and setting at liberty those who are oppressed. So can we be surprised that Jesus tells us that in that story at the Last Judgment what he expects of his followers to do? It's all one theme throughout the scripture that's taking place. Let's uh, continue. Clearly in our own thinking. One thing for people in prison is to think about what they have done to repent and to turn to the Lord. And we see that pretty clearly in a poetical fashion in Psalm 107, 10-16. Who would like to read that? Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death prisoners in affliction and deniers. For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. 
So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. So in the context of this psalm, this is such a beautiful psalm, there's descriptions of all sorts of people who were in trouble and called on the Lord for help, and he helped them. And here seems to be talking about people who we might say were justly in prison. It says they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned his counsel. Um, And then they cried out to the Lord for help, and he redeem them. But more often we see in scripture that prison is a result of injustice or persecution of the righteous. And these phrases from uh, Lamentations 3, 34-36 were pretty compelling to me as I was preparing this study. Lamentations 3, 34-36 says, To crush underfoot all the prisoners of the earth, to deny a man justice in the presence of the Most High, to subvert a man in his lawsuit, the Lord does not approve. So, here very clearly, the Lord hates injustice. And part of injustice can be crushing prisoners, or even imprisonment. Because it's denying a man justice or subverting a man in the case that he is making. And I want to walk through uh, a list of prisoners of the Old Testament and then in the New Testament. And let's ask ourselves, you know, what is the role of justice or injustice in their imprisonment or the role of persecution? Now, there's a lot of prisoners in the Bible, um, and I, I actually haven't covered all of them, but some major ones. Joseph, okay, in the story of Genesis. I put down, you can read about him in Genesis 39, but where did he be, first become a prisoner? By his brothers. By his brothers. What did they do? They threw him in a pit. They threw him in a pit. Why was he thrown into a pit by his brothers? Envy. Jealousy. Okay. Is that a case of justice or injustice? Yeah, clearly injustice. For Joseph, again, he uh, was sold as a slave, um, became uh, ruler of a household of Potiphar, and then he got put in prison again. Why? What happened? The wife judged him as a pet. Accused him. Yeah. Was it? Was that a fair? Did he get a fair trial? Did he get any trial? So is this justice or injustice? Right. So here, where we saw the brothers put him in prison because of jealousy and envy, the wife had him 
accused him. Why? What was she trying to do? Right, well, she's covering her unrighteousness, right? And so he was suffering for her unrighteousness and put into prison. Okay, the Israelites in Egypt, you might say, well, okay, they weren't physically put into uh, prison, uh, but they were under what? The hard task, slave labor, bondage. King James, I think it is. Uh, <clears throat> the Ten Commandments begin, I am the Lord your God, um, who delivered you from the house of bondage. So, that is a very physical representation of how God is concerned for those in bondage and frees his people rescues his people. Um, what was the persecution or injustice that was going on there? Why were they put into slavery? The whole war broke out. They would tell the Egyptians fight. So they wanted to keep them in bondage for that purpose. They would hold it over their heads. Yeah, that was one excuse that was given. But how times do we see in the world where there's kind of two different ethnic groups, two different peoples, and one gets afraid of the other and tries to oppress one because they're because because of fear, uh, because of fear. Remember, it says there's a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph arose, and they begin to fear the Israelites for their and their prosperity and their numbers. Okay, um, there's Samson, who was also uh, a judge of Israel. He was uh, put into prison. He was, remember, released from prison as entertainment um, there. In the interest of time, I'm going to go. I'm skip him. Um, but I thought it was interesting, some of the prophets. Um, let's just read about uh, Micaiah in 1 Kings 22. Um, this was the king of Israel, was Ahab, not a good king. And he said, Seize Micaiah and take him back to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, Thus says the king, Put this fellow in prison and feed him meager rations of bread and water until I come in peace. And Micaiah said, If you return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, hear all your peoples. Micaiah was saying, Ahab, you're going to go to war, and you're going to, go die, you're going to die there. That's going to be the end of you. And Ahab reacted strongly, and did what? Put that guy in prison. I don't like what he's saying. In the New Testament, who got prison in prison because the ruler didn't like what he was saying? John the Baptist. Yeah. So someone in power is not liking what you're saying, and so they want to show their power and kind of shut you up. Something like that also happened to um, Hanani, the prophet. You can read that. Um, also, kings of Israel, when they were conquered, were put in, in prison. 
when uh, the northern kingdom was falling, Hoshea, the king of Israel at that time, was put in prison. Um, Jeremiah's story, and that's where I am in my daily Bible reading too, is similar to Micaiah. He's telling the people, surrender to Nebuchadnezzar and the Chaldeans. And the people in authority don't like what they're hearing from him. They're saying he's a traitor. And he's saying, no, God has, God will give you your very lives. But his plan is for Jerusalem to fall into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar if you... He was telling the people to surrender themselves, basically. So the people in power felt Jeremiah was a traitor, and what did they do? Put him in prison, and he's saying, what wrong have I done? I am telling you God's word. Do people like to hear God's word? Often they don't. And uh, so Jeremiah was put into to, to prison at that time. And then also the last king of uh, Judah was also taken a prisoner um, there. In the New Testament, we talked about John the Baptist. Again, someone in authority didn't like what he was hearing. He got put, put into prison. What about Jesus? Was Jesus a prisoner? Yeah. He was a prisoner. Would you say, what's the role of justice or injustice in that case? Injustice. He was betrayed. When he was arrested and then taken um, to be tried, did people come and visit him? As he's enjoying us to do to those in prison? No. They ran and did the opposite. And Peter did went so far as he tried to stay close, <laughs> but when push came to shove, he denied that he even knew Jesus. So Jesus, the Son of God, knows what it is to be treated unjustly. He knows what it is to be uh, a prisoner. The apostles, uh, that section of Acts, they were put in prison um, after the day of Pentecost and they were out preaching. Who didn't like what they were saying? The religious authorities, the Jewish religious authorities had them uh, put into prison. And what about this verse? Can someone read Acts 8? Um, there arose on that day great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judah, Judea, Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Okay, this is the Saul who later became the apostle Paul. 
after the death of Stephen, this great persecution came out. And what was the first thing they did with some of these early Christians? They put them in prison. Just? Unjust? Unjust. Um, Peter was also put into prison for his preaching in Acts 12 there. Paul and Silas. Now, usually when we talk about Paul and Silas, we think about the great story about the um, earthquake. They were singing hymns. There was the earthquake. They were released um, from their bonds. But the prisoners all stayed there. And the prison guard and his family came to faith. But I could hear the very end of that story, where in Acts 16 it says, But Paul said to them, wait a second, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them. And they took them out and asked them to leave the city. What was Paul, why was Paul insisting on that? Do you think it was right for Paul to insist on this? What was Paul trying to do? Now I was thinking about this. I was saying Paul is trying to point out what you did was unjust. And he wanted to call them to account. Um, And then, of course, there's Paul being put in Jerusalem, transferred to Caesarea, then transferred all the way to Rome. All during that time, he was a prisoner. So, um, I wanted next to go through some biblical examples of visiting in prison. Because in Matthew 25, it was all about, I was in prison and you came to me. Let's see some examples. Paul's care, in Acts 27.3, it said, the next day... Luke is writing, we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. So, in, although Paul was a prisoner and in bondage, he had some freedoms and he could be cared for. Who was he being cared for? By his... By his friends, yeah. Acts 28, 16... And, um, and when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So although he was in bondage, he was a prisoner, Paul had some freedoms to be entertaining people who entertaining, but visiting with people who uh, came to him. Um, And when it says at his own expense, uh, we can't imagine that other Christians were helping supply the funds 
um, to keep Paul, as a prisoner, still able to preach the gospel, even while a prisoner. And there's a lot in the little book Philemon, but one of that, the backstory there is it appears that Philemon, who was an Asian miner, had a slave named Onesimus, and Onesimus made his way to the big city where he could be probably anonymous. Somehow or other, he came into contact with Paul, he was converted, and he was one of these people helping Paul with his upkeep in prison. Paul feels the right thing to do is to send him back to his owner, Philemon, but saying, now he's your brother in Christ, he deserves to be free. But he writes this uh, passage here. He says, I, Paul, appeal to you, Philemon, for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. So it appears that somehow Onesimus was helping Paul's imprisonment be lighter, be less of a burden by showing care um, to him while he was in prison. So, again, remember Jesus' word, I was in prison and you came to me. What were they doing? You know, they were showing their care, they were showing support, they were showing for their, their love um, and concern. Okay, we're going to finish this up. Um, two passages in Hebrews also talk about this visiting in prison. In Hebrews 10, it says... The author of Hebrews is writing, But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. And later he says, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Spoiler alert, since you also are in the body, that's a segue to where Mike's going in his teachings. What I... Just want to point out here is the author is commending the Christians who still had their freedom under persecution because they stood alongside those Christians who were put into prison. And it says, you had compassion on those in prison. It's another way that we're showing Christian love uh, and compassion. And he says, keep on doing that. Remember those who are in prison as though you were in prison with them. So, again, this 
parallel, a parable of in Matthew 25, of Jesus teaching Matthew 25, I was in prison and you came to me. So what are some takeaways? Obvious, God's concern for the prisoner is tied to his concern for righteousness and justice. It's people who put people in prison. That is a very serious act to deny anyone their liberty. And God's going to hold out accountable, and he's on the side of the prisoner. Imprisonment imprisonment may be an outgrowth of injustice and especially of persecution of God's people. Christians are called to stand with fellow Christians in prison on account of their faith. Um, Of course, (laughs) our brother is here uh, and we are following. If you don't have a chance, you can follow and pray for those in the early reign church who are in prison, as well as all kinds of hassles. My mom's side family background is from what was behind the Iron Curtain, and what they did to Christians is just hassles. I, I know a, a Christian family there in those days. Um, their daughter, very good marks in school. When it came to find a place in high school, it was a Christian family. Guess what? There was no place found for her except in the Slovak language school. So she had to, to finish high school, she had to learn Slovak <laughs> uh, and then go, she could go to high school if she went in the language minority school. Um, and it seems like that's happening to a large extent, um, not only for the, our brothers and sisters from the early rain church, but I think unfortunately throughout China. And I got an email, um, I lived for three years in Egypt and uh, a friend of mine sends me uh, prayer request about ministry there that the church in Algeria is undergoing a, a tremendous persecution right now. So they are asking for um, prayer for the church in Algeria um, because pastors are being taken into prison and churches are being being closed. So this is happening right uh, right now. Um, all people are called to God's standards. In the parable, Jesus said, you did to the sheep, you did this to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. He left out the phrase, you did this to the least of my brothers. He said, you did not do it to the least of these. You did not do it to me. Because God calls everyone to account. Micah 6.8, he has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. All people, Christian and non-Christian, are called to do justice and righteousness. And God is concerned about that. But I'm going to close with this. In, In Jesus Christ, we can have full confidence even amidst suffering, since we by faith have been saved to eternal life through him, who has given us as his followers a holy calling, Calling, which includes coming to those in prison, especially of the household of faith. And just as in closing, and this will be my prayer in closing, 2 Timothy 1.8, I'll just read out loud. There's a lot going on in here. 
Therefore, Paul writes, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave to us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your concern for justice, for righteousness, uh, for the oppressed. Lord, we do pray for our brothers and sisters around the world, especially in China, in Algeria, who are undergoing persecution, but all those, Lord, who are imprisoned because of unrighteousness on the part of those who uh, hold power over them. And Lord, help us as we follow you and be your disciples uh, to put into practice our care for others and to know what that means that um, to visit even those uh, who are suffering uh, under unrighteousness in prison. Bless us now as we go uh, to worship you by your Holy Spirit. Open our ears and our hearts to receive your word, to grow in grace, and to follow you more closely each day. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.